The Alamo Bowl was a tough watch for Duck fans, but there were good things that came from that game. What were those good things? We'll get to them all on today's show. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm Spencer McLaughlin, your host. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with your team every single day. Remember to like and subscribe if you have not already. Leave a five-star review, maybe a nice comment. If you have time, wherever you're listening to this show, if you ever want to get a question answered on the show, the Twitter handle is at smalls underscore 55 or use the hashtag ask. LOD Pod. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. So yesterday was sort of the uh, vent episode, the sort of get it all out, see what went wrong, why it went wrong, and you know, what could have been, perhaps, with regards to the quarterback position specifically. But today is going to be a little bit more of a positive episode because, as I mentioned on yesterday's show, if you didn't listen, I'll just do a quick recap. I was ready to be in a terrible mood to record the episode by the time the game had ended. And then the second half took place, and Oregon players showed a lot of fight, and they outscored Oklahoma in the second half, 29 to 17 and the offense started to come alive and you know the defense just ultimately wore down I think they just got too tired at the end of the day and they were already really really thin on that side of the ball so they were put in a pretty impossible situation also a side note let's just as Oregon fans I think we actually have a home and home with Boise State but can we just stop playing Oklahoma and Boise State it clearly doesn't work (laughs) <laughs> it just it just never seems to go well. Last time we played Boise State was when Willie Taggart left. And then the last time we played Oklahoma, the other day, was right after Mario Cristobal left. And the only time we've beaten Oklahoma was on, you know, a pretty terrible officiating call. I mean, a really, really hilariously bad officiating call. So just as a general rule, maybe we avoid those programs. I don't know. Uh, just a thought. I also thought, sarcastically, of course, that we were doomed yesterday, uh, recording this on Thursday. We were doomed when we didn't start the game with an onside kick. I mean, can you imagine how much we would have gotten into the head of Bob Stoops? I mean, we would have sent him into a mental tailspin if we'd started that game with an onside kick. But, alas, we did not. So, let's get to the good stuff that came from the Alamo Bowl. That's what we're talking about on today's show because Duck fans right now need and deserve a reason to feel good about the upcoming season in 2022, which is, you know, as I do a little quick math, just about nine months away, and I already can't wait for it. It's too long to wait if you ask me, but I don't make the schedules. The weirdness of college football scheduling is, of course, a conversation for another day, but I know the score didn't always reflect 
what I am about to say, but one positive takeaway I had from the Alamo Bowl, genuinely, was that from the jump and through to the end, guys were playing hard. And that matters to me. It matters to the culture. And I, I just, I, I loved, loved seeing that. And it's not an easy thing to do. Your coach leaves, you get down early, but guys were still playing hard. It just wasn't going well. I mean, Bob Stoops versus Brian McClendon, that's a coaching mismatch. They had more players available from their regular starting rotation. And though they're going through a coaching change, it's just different. They had the better quarterback as well. I, I just don't um I, I just don't think that Oregon really had a great chance in that game. I said as much earlier this week on the pod. I thought they would lose. I thought they would keep it a little bit closer, but they, they just fell behind early. Anthony Brown threw that first quarter interception, and then it you know started to, to spiral a little bit, and then they were able to make a really awesome comeback in the second half to the point where there were a couple moments. I mean, think about this. They were down 27 points at the half. Everyone's clamoring for a quarterback change. And yet, there were still moments where Oregon was kind of in the game. And at the half, that's kind of all you were looking for. And we got that, which was good. So, I liked seeing that. But the position group that I thought we as Duck fans should be looking at most closely was the wide receiving core. Because no Devin Williams and Johnny Johnson III and Jalen Red, their careers at Oregon are done. Outstanding careers, by the way. Also, congratulations to Travis Dye, fifth duck in Oregon history to get 3,000 career rushing yards. Well-deserved. I hope he comes back. He's phenomenal. We'll get to him a little later. But I pointed out the wide receiving unit as this is where you want to look. This is you know, perhaps the most captivating element of this game for duck fans, and there was a lot to digest there. And a lot of it was really, really good. First of all, Seven McGee playing wide receiver. I don't know if Oregon wants to hire me on the coaching staff, but I was calling for that in the past, and they are seeing exactly what I've been seeing, which I think is great, and I think Duck fans should be really excited about it. Now, he'd been at running back most of the year, and this transition to being a slot receiver, you know, the Jalen Red, Charles Nelson, D'Anthony Thomas role, is sort of new. So I think that getting him the ball in those positions or him knowing exactly how to play that role might take a little bit of time, but he lined up there a lot. He was actually listed as the number two X receiver on the depth chart in the two deep ahead of the Alamo Bowl. And that just, that that all fires me up because this guy is so explosive and he's got an ability to run routes. He catches the ball well out of the backfield. He catches the ball well running routes. He did have uh, the first ball thrown his way was off target from Anthony Brown. And then later he caught a ball and he looked really comfortable making moves in space after running a route from the slot. And that's important because when you're making that transition from running back to receiver or kind of hybrid player as he's going to be, it just feels different when you get the ball in your hands whether or not you're going to be able to know how to make that cut, right? Or make guys miss in the open field. And I think he showed that he's going to be able to do that. And I am really, really excited for the potential he shows there. More on the Oregon wide receivers right after this. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? 
Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. Over 20,000 businesses already use NetSuite. For the new year, NetSuite has a new financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com locked. Head to netsuite.com locked for this special one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses. netsuite.com locked. Okay, so there were other receivers to look for, and it, it was sort of a mixed bag going into the game in terms of who was going to step up at the wide receiver position. You knew Chris Hudson was probably going to be a featured wideout, but then who else on the perimeter, you know, assuming Oregon was going to be able to get their wide receivers the ball, which has not been a great strength of theirs this year, who else was going to step up? in a major way. Well, we got a couple of answers, and they were names that I had alluded to on an earlier episode leading up to the game. Isaiah Crocker, I thought, had a few really nice grabs. I don't know if Crocker is a wide receiver one sort of guy. He's got decent size at six foot two, and that certainly helps. And I also I saw something uh, on Twitter somewhere that said, like, unleash the skinnies or something like that because both him and Dante Thornton, who I'll get to in, in just a moment, were are both kind of thin-bodied guys, but they're also, you know, really promising wide receiver prospects for the Ducks. But, you know, Crocker, I thought, really looked like someone who could be uh, a complementary wide receiver to guys like Chris Hudson. And those are just important wide receivers to have. I think you can line him up on the outside, but I, I think he's more of an off receiver sort of guy. I, I don't think he's you know what they call the Z or, or the main receiver, right? That's what Devin Williams was this year. And Hudson, I think, is a guy who you can line up on the outside, both he and Crocker, but I think they're going to do a lot of their damage primarily from the slot. And you might be asking, well, why... Did you talk about Seven McGee being in the slot? They're different kind of players who are going to run different styles of routes. If you're going to line up a receiver in the slot and have him run a deep in, that's probably more of a Crocker or a Hudson type of route or throw him a fade on the outside as we saw in this game. But Seven McGee is a guy who you want to get running across the field, get him into open space, and get him involved in fly sweep action. That's sort of the difference there. But I really like the potential that that those guys have shown. Other ones, in addition to Chris Hudson just continuing to make plays, how about the diving catch he had on the sideline, which maybe should have been pass interference. The official literally said he was forced out of bounds. That's why it was an incomplete pass. Kind of seemed like it was pass interference, but, you know, anyway, seeing him make plays like that and, you know, beating the Oklahoma defensive backs, and they're not known for being a great defense. They're not very good, but still, you're beating a quality team's corners uh, by by two and three steps down the field for the touchdowns, that was really really great to see. And Hudson, man, he he is just such a promise. Just a freshman too. That's the exciting part for Duck fans about all these wide receivers. They are young. Yes, we're losing Devin Williams, but boy, I thought this unit would be interesting to look at, and they really really showed up in what I thought was a pretty big time way, especially in the second half. Troy Franklin. I'm not sure what happened on the deep ball. You know, it looked like it was catchable maybe if he lays out 
Anthony Brown's got to make a better throw because he's got him beat by several steps. I don't know if he lost the ball. I really don't know. I'm not going to speculate about all of that. But I saw Thornton, I saw Hudson, and I saw Franklin all beat their corners deep by like three to four steps. And that is a tremendous development for Oregon. Now, Duck fans might be asking themselves, where was that over the course of the season? Because that was sort of the limitation of this Oregon offense throughout the year is their inability to work the ball down the field. And so there were no easy drives. There were no quick responses. Everything had to be worked very, very hard for. And I think that, you know, caused some issues at times. But those moments when those wide receivers, that catch that Franklin made over the shoulder, getting his foot down in the end zone, fantastic. Thornton, who is a consensus four-star prospect according to 24-7 and was, I think, a top 100 player, as well, uh, according to his bio online, that guy at six foot five, Dante Thornton, I think he projects more as that kind of Z receiver or you know wide receiver one, if you want to get technical with it, because he has got that big physical size. Now he and Franklin both, you know, and, and Crocker maybe a little bit as well, need to put on a few pounds so that they can match up with more physical corners that they will face certainly by the time we play Georgia in 2022 they'll need to have you know get, gain some muscle mass and have an extended level of physicality but i tell you what from a route running perspective speed size there was a lot to like from this Oregon wide receiving unit and i i was really really encouraged by it which is good cuz i was watching that really closely and I just watched guys make plays over and over, and Anthony Brown was not as sharp in the first half as he was in the second, but there were open guys in the first half, too. Brown just wasn't able to complete the pass all the time, but the ones that he did complete, they were really nice routes, and they were really nice catches. You know, Franklin had one over on the sideline. Crocker did as well. Hudson showed what he can do, catching the ball in space. The, the skill positions for the Ducks going forward, there is just a ton of excitement there. I mean, man, it is good. You've got the wide receivers I've been talking about, Hudson with Thornton and Crocker and uh, and Troy Franklin as well. The tight ends, Matavau and Ferguson. Ferguson had a phenomenal play on a third down where it looked like he was going to get tackled short, just ended up fighting his way to get to the first down. Both those tight ends are great blockers, too. I've talked about the running backs a lot on this podcast. I hope Travis Dye comes back because, goodness gracious, is that guy good. And Byron Cardwell is there as well. Everyone thinks he's going to be sensational, and he's got the potential to be just that. And that that is just an embarrassment of riches. Sean Dollars, Seven McGee. The skill positions offensively for Oregon, they're all there for Dan Lanning and this incoming staff. More on the good takeaways from the Alamo Bowl coming up next, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution. Because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By week three, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? 
Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. Go to Built.com, use promo code, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Sometimes I will have takes on here that turn out to just not really be true or accurate because it's impossible to be right all the time. But sometimes I will have takes that do turn out to be correct. And the other day I was singing the praises of Travis Dye and how I think in the grand scheme of things he's sort of an underrated running back for the Ducks in the eyes of Oregon fans compared to the Michael James, Royce Freeman and Kenyon Barners of the world. And he kind of proved me right in a big way. And that's, again, good news for Duck fans because he looked so explosive and so good and was playing so hard. And he's a culture setter. And, you know, he, he was able to clean up fumbles after struggling with that a little bit a couple seasons ago. That was not a major problem for him this year. And, man, his burst, his ability to just find a seam and get through to the next level and then explode is exceptional. He is, I, I just, I love watching him as a running back. He's not a huge guy. He's not a big personality. He just knows how to play football. That's what he and his brother are. Because Troy Dye is not a, a big imposing guy physically either. But guess what? He's made it to the NFL and he had a great career at Oregon because the guys just know how to play football. I loved watching Travis die. Hope he comes back. I know Oregon's running back room is fine, even if he's not there, but man, that guy is a really, really good player. Speaking of Travis die, the guys who he runs behind had a pretty darn good game. Now they struggled in pass protection with some of the blitzes that Oklahoma brought on multiple occasions. And Anthony Brown had to just bail out of the play almost immediately. But this is an offensive line that remembers how to block. That was the note that I wrote down. Is offensive line remembers how to block, even though Cristobal and Mirabal are gone. And except for Stephen Jones, or excuse me, except for George Moore the fourth, all of these offensive linemen, all of them, and we've seen you know seven or eight regularly in the rotation. Ryan walked in play yesterday. All of them are going to be back, except for George Moore. TJ Bass, these are the guys who started left to right on the offensive line who will be back. Uh, TJ Bass, the left tackle, he's a junior. Alex Forsyth, another junior at center. Steven Jones at right guard, the sophomore. And then Malaysala Amave Laulu, the right tackle who uh, announced not that long ago that he was going to come back. He's a redshirt freshman, or excuse me, he's a junior. Dawson Jaramillo, a redshirt freshman. Ryan Walk is a junior. This is a really talented offensive line. I mean, Dan Lanning is coming into, offensively, a great situation. It's just going to be about the quarterback. If Bo Nix ends up being the starter and he works, this offense has the potential to be exceptional. Because the number of times, you know, I know the offensive line struggled a little bit in picking up some blitzes yesterday, that it looked pretty bad at times. When it was just a straight rush, Anthony Brown had all day to throw the ball. And that's kind of been the case all year. 
And then you look at the way they ran the ball, almost 200 yards rushing as a team, which I thought would help them win the game, but the defense was just too worn down, and that's fine. But the running game, you can have great running backs, but if you don't have a good offensive line, it doesn't really matter. And that offensive line is almost entirely going to be back. So I, I loved seeing that and just knowing that they're all going to be back and that that, once again, is going to be a strength for Oregon. And it could be even in 2023 as well because there's a lot of youth and, and talent and size. And I think Landing will be able to bring on some good guys as well. We'll just see you know, how they compare to the offensive lines of the Mario Cristobal days because they were always, as I've talked about, very, very good. The third quarter offense, that was certainly a highlight. In the fourth quarter as well, they took downfield shots to wide receivers. It was a relief because all year, Duck fans have been wondering, why can't we go down the field? And some of them were, you know, wide open guys running free that Anthony Brown was able to find. You know, Thornton was really open and Hudson was really open and Franklin was only kind of open though. And that deep ball that was an incompletion to Chris Hudson, but was a phenomenal catch anyway, was just a one-on-one -on -one down the field. And I think Oregon fans, you probably like me, were thinking, man, why didn't we do this more this year? These guys are so talented and they can win those one-on-ones. Give them opportunities a few times a game. But it was refreshing to see them push the ball down the field and trust these young wide receivers to go make plays. I mean... None of the guys I've mentioned are older than a sophomore. A lot of them are freshmen, and they haven't seen a lot of action relative to how much they will play in their Oregon careers. But they showed that they have the ability to make plays, to create space from DBs, and get down the field. And I think that was really, really good. So that was something that I, that I liked seeing. Defensively, there were not that many good things. Uh, you know, they were just so shorthanded, and then the injuries piled up, and Noah Sewell's out, and then Mace Funa was out, and then it was just, you know, it, it was a mess on that side, and, and that's okay. I'm not sweating about it too much, and you shouldn't either, but Noah Sewell is one of the plus sides of that Oregon defense, because though it was never good really all day, and Oklahoma just had the better game plan and more healthy players available relative to, you know, who starts for them on offense, when Noah Sewell was off the field, it was different. Oklahoma ran the ball well all night, but they ran it even better when Noah Sewell was off the field. That guy's a high-impact player, but he's going to be back next year, and he's going to start alongside Justin Flo. And I've heard that Jeffrey Bossa is going to get rotated back to safety, and how good does that guy look? That's a true freshman. Not a COVID true freshman. That is a true freshman, Jeffrey Bossa. And I want to see him on the field. In a perfect world, I don't know if McKinley's going to come back. Basso's our strong safety. McKinley's our free safety. And you put Noah Sewell and Justin Flo at the linebacking spots. That's a heck of a foundation for a defensive coach and Dan Lanning to have to work with coming to Eugene as the head coach next year. So... The, those again, those are about the only bright spots. Although I will say, um, 14 Davies, Davies, the cornerback, made a couple of really nice open field tackles. And the tackling waned as the game went on, but Oregon's ability to tackle in space was noticeable in the early going. I thought that was really good, and Bossa was doing a lot of that. I mean, that guy is just 
He is so fast, and you can see his football IQ is through the roof. He's so instinctual and makes tackles in space. Uh, he, he's just, that's the sort of guy you want on your defense. I think Dan Lanning is going to love using Jeffrey Bossa. Again, just a true freshman. His potential is through the roof. And, you know, him, and if McKinley comes back with Bennett Williams as a nickelback and Jamal Hill there as well, and Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, I tell you what. That could be the foundations of a really good defense once Lanning is able to, you know, leave his fingerprints on on what that side of the ball is going to look like. So lots of excitement there. As I said, it was not all bad for the Ducks. And, you know, yesterday was the uh, the get it off your chest episode. Today is, all right, what do we have to work with? What was good? And there was plenty of it. That's it for this week. I will see you on Monday. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.